how good he has been, we will sing of his mercy. I mean, what better way to start off the year than that? I mean, what a commitment, right? When we think back, I mean, we're at this, this point in our year, in our life, in our culture, where we're at this, you know, this phase where we are reminded of what God has done. We reflect back on what this past year looks, but we're also looking ahead. And what better posture to start off our year than that, right? Remembering God's mercy, his goodness and his kindness and committing to singing that, to remembering that, to reminding ourselves of that, to praising the Lord in the year ahead for all that he is and all that he's done. Well, my name is Doug and I am the, the pastor over at East Campus and I get the joy of opening up God's word with you this morning and the distinct honor and privilege of wishing you a happy new year. Happy New Year. Man, what a, what a great time to be alive, you know? I mean, 2021 ahead of us, who knows what's in store for us, the possibilities, the uncertainties, have no idea what lies ahead of us. I mean, there is something that's slightly terrifying about that, right? But hopefully, I don't know about you, but for me, when I step into a new year, I get excited. I feel energized, right? And, and I think to myself, and many of us do this, um, what, what are the habits, what are the disciplines, what are the rituals I want to I cultivate in my life so that I can look more and more like Christ, so I can live the life that I feel like God is calling me to. And I don't know if you guys have done that or not, but I just, that practice in and of itself is, is life-giving to me. It's energizing when you think about the prospect of a new year. It's energizing when you think about how that applies to you personally, but I think it also could be said about us as a church, as we consider what might be in the year 2021. I hope that you are excited. I really do. I hope that you are excited when you think about what the Lord might do in and through Parkview Church in the year that is ahead of us. I know it's feels really good to say goodbye to 2020, right? I know many of us are ready to see that mug go a long time ago, right? Stepping into a new year, what could be? What could it be? What could it look like? As a church, we want to help you think about that. And not just think about that, but to actually participate in, in whatever the Lord has designed and planned for us, helping to participate to seeing that thing come to fruition. So one of the ways that we're doing this is, we, is we've designated the month of January as sort of a, a, a month of renewal. This whole year, the word renewal has been over our church. We want to see the Lord renew us as a people, to breathe new life into us as a people. Well, we want to sort of ramp that up at the beginning of the new year. And a couple ways that we're doing that. Um, first is, what I'm doing right now is we're going to start, we're gonna, we started, Thomas, Pastor Thomas started last week a preaching series specifically on images of renewal. What will this renewal look like? So we're going to preach through these images of renewal this year to start off our year. Secondly, and this is a way that is, um, hopefully, you, many of you have already participated in this, is that we're going to call you to an intensified season of prayer this month. 31 days dedicated to prayer and fasting and just utter dependence on the Lord. Because whatever lies ahead of us, it's going to be His doing. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, right? So we want to call you, Parkview Church, to a dedicated month, intensified month of committed prayer. Now, you can do this individually on your own, praying for what the Lord might do through our church and in through our church. But we also want to ask that you consider praying together 
with the church. I don't know about you, but when I pray with you all, it gives me energy, right? It, it, I hear your prayers and it, it, it encourages me. There's a power that, that God has kind of designed it in such a way that he has called us to pray together. And so we're going to give you a lot of opportunities to do that. We kicked off on January 1st with an evening of prayer. Many of you watched that. You could still participate in that on Facebook. You could watch that. Daily, we are having prayer meetings every single day at 7 a.m. And the Zoom link for that, you can just join via Zoom. Just cozy up in your bed, cup of coffee, however you do it, 7 a.m. Click on that link and you'll gather with people virtually to pray for 30 minutes daily, okay? I, if, you know, one good thing to maybe possibly do is to designate one day of the week that, that works for you and just try to do it that day. It's been really encouraging as we've seen folks come to that. But the point is this. We sense that the Lord is calling us in our church in a new direction. And we are absolutely committed to not take one step until we know that we are walking and we are fulfilling the purposes that God has, that he is with us. And so I invite you to pray for that. This morning, as we continue on in this series of renewal, we'll just mention it, that we are um, going to be reading and looking at specifically Psalm 85, which has been just a wonderful passage. It's a wonderful passage of renewal and revival. And so I would invite you, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have your Bibles, to open them up to Psalm 85. Pull out your phone, whatever is convenient at home. Go get your Bible, Psalm 85. You will be greatly helped if you have a copy of God's Word in front of you this morning as we walk through it. I'm going to read it in its entirety, then I'll pray for us. And then we'll dive in. This is Psalm 85. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. Let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Let's pray, church. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that as we sense, Lord, that you have us as a church in this sort of season of renewal, Lord, we thank you that you have resourced us well. You have given us your spirit. You love to give us your power and your presence. And right now, Lord, we're gonna look specifically at your word. Lord, I pray that you would use this word this morning, that you would use Psalm 85 to strengthen us as a people to give us hope in a new day, to comfort us in our fears and anxieties, to challenge us and convict us in our sin, Lord. 
Lord, we ask that you would take this word, which we believe to be eternal and true, Lord, and we ask that you would write it on our hearts, that you would use it this morning to shape and to form us to be the people you have designed us to be. Lord, we ask all of these things in your son's Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Bob Dylan is widely considered to be one of the most influential figures of the 20th century. If you don't know who Bob Dylan is, I'm going to pray for you, okay? Bob Dylan, one of the most influential figures of the 20th century. And today, at nearly 80 years of age, he remains a musical genius, cultural icon, and a literary legend. President Barack Obama said to Dylan in 2012, there is not a bigger giant in the history of American music than Bob Dylan. Tremendous. Phenomenal musician, right? Well, not everyone here this morning may be a fan of Dylan. You can't deny how remarkable, truly remarkable, his career is. Alongside his distinct voice and powerful lyrics, one of the skills that, that Dylan truly mastered, which has kept him at the forefront of the music industry since the 1960s, is his ability to constantly reinvent himself. Constantly reinventing himself. Virtually every decade. I can, saw Bob Dylan once live in 1996. I was a freshman in high school. Bob Dylan was playing in Dubuque, Iowa. So a friend of mine got tickets, had to see Bob Dylan. And uh, it was like nothing I had, would, would have anticipated. There was a mosh pit in the front. People were on stage virtually every second, hugging him, kissing him, touching him. And they would dive into the crowd where they would crowd surf. I mean, not what you would expect from a Bob Dylan concert, right? It's not what I expected at all. Bob Dylan reinventing himself. On the stage, no harmonica, electric guitar, appealing to sort of a rock audience, reinventing himself, staying relevant from folk music to country to gospel, constantly Bob Dylan reinventing himself, remaining relevant, extending his career. In fact, he has a, a tour called the Never Ending Tour, which started in 1988. And apart from COVID, it would still be going on, right? Constantly reinventing himself, artistic reinvention. It's not unique to Bob Dylan. His success in reinventing himself is, is, however, is entirely unique. Few can pull it off quite like Bob Dylan does. Reinvention, in fact, is an art in and of itself. Why many struggling artists would have attempted it, few can pull it off like he could. Reinvention itself is an art. If there's a series or steps or sort of a, an equation that promises on the other side total reinvention and complete success, you can imagine how much people would pay for that formula. Now, as much as the stories of maybe musicians, artists, athletes reinventing themselves, as much as those stories can for us sometimes inspire us, encourage us and maybe we love those stories of artist reinvention what the lord is calling us to is very different than reinvention what the lord is calling us to as his people parkview church 2021 is very different than reinvention 
Well, we sense the Lord is calling us to, and what Psalm 85 says this morning is that we are in a season not of reinvention, but of revival. What we want to see the Lord do in and among us is not to simply reinvent us as a people, but to breathe new life into our church and to revive us, restore us, renew us in a way that we've never seen before. And that's precisely what Psalm 85 is calling us to, a season of revival. That is what we need. What is revival? Many of us, we hear that word. Maybe we conjure up images of big tents and large stadiums filled with people. We think in terms of events and experiences. I want to be very clear, that's not what we are talking about when we use the word revival. When the psalmist in Psalm 85 says, revive us again, he's not thinking, let's all go to a big tent, all right? Let's get out the smoke machine and the laser show. Not what he's thinking. What is he thinking? This is what he's thinking. He wants, the psalmist wants, longs for, yearns for a season of refreshment for the people of God that is brought about by the Spirit of God. That's what he's calling for. Refreshment for a weak, suffering soul. Revivement. Vitality. New life. An intensification. It is not, like I said before, new tricks of the trade that have been injected into a system, putting on a big new show in new, exciting, different kinds of ways. Rather, it is an intensification of what has always been faithful gospel ministry. Tim Keller is helpful here. Talks about revival, he, he describes it like this. Revival is an intensification of the normal operations of the spirit. Intensification of the normal operations of the spirit. Think in terms of conviction of sin, regeneration, sanctification, an intensification of the normal operations of the spirit through the way that that intensification happens is through the ordinary means of grace. Not extra, extraordinary greens of mace, not grace, not smoke machines and laser beams, but things like preaching, prayer, devotion to God's word. A great place to look in the Bible, there's many places to look in the Bible where you can see revival happen, take root in a people. Acts 3, verse 19 and 20 is maybe the best definition biblically that you can find of what is revival. It says this. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, shortly after the, the new church, Jesus ascended, died, resurrected, ascended to heaven. New church is formed, and uh, there's a healing that takes place. In Acts chapter 3, this, for, this word, as they're giving a defense for what they are becoming and what is happening to them, here's a call that goes out. This is it. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That was the call. 
Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The result of that call, some 5,000 people added to their number that very day. Ordinary means of grace. Very simple message. There's nothing complicated or complex or flashy or showy about that message. It is simply repent and turn back to the Lord. That's what it is. That's what it was then, and that's what it is for us today. So, simply put this morning, as we consider Psalm 85, what brings us wonderful news this morning from Psalm 85 is that revival, as much as we want it, it is entirely possible. In fact, the Lord loves to give it. So let's look at how it comes about. Psalm 85, look at it in three different sort of phases, stages. The first thing we see in verses one through three, and again, I would remind you, if you have a copy of of God's word, you'll be helped by having it open this morning. The first thing we see in verses one through three is that revival begins by remembering God's grace in the past. Revival begins by remembering. I would write down, if you write down one word, write down remembering. God's grace in the past. Look at verses one through three. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Notice the past tense. The psalmist is recounting, is remembering. So here's a question for you. What are we to do How are we to conduct ourselves when the banner over our life reads like this? Things aren't as they ought to be. Things aren't as they ought to be. I don't know if maybe that characterizes how you feel about life right now. Maybe a a time in the past, a season that you've walked through. Things aren't as they ought to be. What do we do when the time that we at one point knew the blessings and the favor of God seems to be in the rear view mirror? Yes, maybe we've tasted the goodness, experienced his favor, but now we find ourselves living life in a valley. How are we to respond? What are we to do? Well, what we see in the first three verses of Psalm 85 is that our working memory of God's former favor and blessing serves as the basis for our request for revival. It's how the psalmist begins. Three verses, six verbs, which review how God has majestically and faithfully worked in the past for the good of his people and the glory of his name. The focus on the first three verses is what the Lord has done. Now, the specifics surrounding this, the context of this particular psalm are unclear. There are some psalms that you can, you can point to a historical setting or context in which they were written with a, a degree of precision. This is not one of those psalms. There's, in fact, a good deal of debate over what precisely is happening in this context. Some think that maybe it was written on the occasion of the return of David after Absalom's, Absalom's rebellion. Maybe, maybe it was in response to the destruction of the Assyrian army. S- some say it was in response to the return of the Jews from Babylonian exile. 
That's the one that maybe gets the most traction with most commentators. But whatever the specifics of the historical setting, this much is clear. God's people had at one time experienced God's presence in a very powerful way. God had visited his people and they want him to do it again. Just as others before them at one time, they had experienced God's grace and they want to taste even a glimpse of that goodness. Now, they want in on the action. Notice the elements of Israel's history which would form the basis of their request. Three things, you see it in verse two. They confessed their sin, God forgave their sin, and God relented the very wrath that they deserved. Their glory days were not the result of a time when they had it all figured out, and this is crucial. Not a time that was marked by their innovation or their intellect, but rather solely a demonstration of God's mercy, of his activity, not theirs. Be clear, Parkview. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, confess our sins and ask him to revive us, we're not asking him to do some more of the same old, same old. Rather, we're asking to be refreshed by God with a mercy in a way that maybe we've never seen or experienced before. That he would breathe new life into us, weary, exhausted sinners. And that that is exactly who we are and that's precisely what we need. And the first step to seeing that become a reality, our reality, is to remember God's former favor. Remember God's blessing. Think of how this can be applied maybe in two levels, individually. Simply take note. Take note. I don't know about you, but I am not a, I'm not a good journaler. I've tried a variety of ways, of techniques, of pens, technologies over the years and I just am not consistent with. It's not a discipline that I've been really consistent with. It is a discipline that I am committed to like trying new ways because I can see the value of it, right? I can see the value of it. It is so important that we take note, that we take note. For Christmas, my oldest son gave me a little, I think this is maybe, this is a great way for me to start this year. Give me a small moleskin, not a big one, a small one. It's green, stands out from the rest of my books. It's green, small moleskin journal. It's the perfect thing. It's a very small page. I think I can write like five words and then turn. It's, it's perfect. It's just what I need to start taking note, to writing down how God is working in my life, how I see his blessings. Because here's the deal. If we don't take note We will be tempted to assess God's faithfulness by our current circumstances. By taking note, by recounting how God has worked, how you've seen him move, you have material to look back on, to remember how God has blessed you. Otherwise, you're just constantly surveying your circumstances, trying to figure out if the Lord still has something to do with you. Take note. Secondly, I think just on a corporate application, I mean, this is what we do on Sunday mornings when we gather. This is what the songs are supposed to do. They're supposed to remind us of how God has provided for us, how he has, in his grace and how in his mercy, 
has blessed us tremendously. This is what Sunday mornings is all about. It is a regular rhythm to remember God's grace and mercy in your life. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so important. I mean, one of the things that I think gives me the most anxiety is thinking about how, and not just, this is not a phenomenon that's unique to Parkview, but just nationally, I heard recently that nationally since COVID started, 30% of those who were attending church prior to COVID, 30% of the people are no longer engaged, period. And that doesn't mean showing up in person. I mean, like, they're not watching, they're not streaming, they're not in the community group. They have checked out 30%. When you apply that to millennials, it's actually 50%. 50% of the millennials no longer engaged with church, period. It's, it's, it's one of my fears. It's one of my fears. And not just, again, for Parkview, but as, a, as the church as a whole. Church worship is so important. Words like, praise the king who bore my sin, took my place when I stood condemned. Oh, how good you've always been to me. I will sing of your mercy. Having words like that on our screen where we are reminded, forced to remember God's faithful provision for us. I mean, it's, it's what we do on Sunday mornings. We remember how the Lord has blessed us. Secondly, verses 4 to nine. Not just do we, not just does revival begin by remembering God's grace in the past, revival also requires that we return to God in the present. That we turn to God in the present. Returning to the Lord in the present looks like, according to the psalmist in verses four through seven, looks like crying out to the Lord in total desperation. How do we return to the Lord? Step one, cry out to him in complete and total desperation. Look at the language, verse four. Restore us again. He's crying out to God. Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. The psalmist recognizes, as we should too, that his only hope for new life is found in the Lord. The only chance he stands is if the Lord answers his plea. God alone, Parkview, is our reviver. He alone is our restorer. He alone is the source of our renewal. Restore us again. Put away your indignation. Will you be angry with us again? Will you not revive us? This is all the activity of God. This is God's work. This is God's work. Revival comes from him. It cannot be self-induced or manufactured. Rather, it's simply a gift of God's love. This Christmas, maybe not the best choice, but we decided to give two of our boys iPhones. And you know, we chose iPhones for a specific reason because I have an iPhone and I like the parental controls that you get with an iPhone, the family sharing stuff. I'm still... Trying to figure out how it works. If you got some tips, let me know. But for me, that was important. I, wanna, I don't want to just give them this device and just say, go have fun. I want to kind of control what they can do, right? Time limits, content, things like that. Now, the problem for me was that my, again, I've had an iPhone for years, is that my Apple ID is a hot mess. All right, I don't know if anybody can relate. I think I got about four different accounts. 
um, many emails attached to those accounts that I no longer know how to access. Like it was just, it was a big problem. Okay, so while I'm giving them this iPhone, I'm also recognizing that like I've got some work cut out for me. In order for me to actually use these parental controls, I got to figure out my Apple ID. Okay, there was, you know, some work ahead of it for me. What I should have done is figured all that out before I gave it to them. Didn't do that. Instead, gave them the phones Christmas morning, and you can imagine they open up the phones, and now they can't use it until I figure out my mess of an Apple ID, right? They're completely dependent. This, all the, the power in the world is in their hands, but they can't use any of it, right? Because they need me. They need me to come through with the Apple ID, completely dependent on me. That phone sat there, expensive, ready, just ready to go, charged up, but could not be used. Folks, we are completely dependent on the Lord. All the resources in the world. I mean, he, he has it all. We need him. We are desperate for him as we long for what he can do in and through us. It must be a work that only he can do. Otherwise, it's a work that we shouldn't do. We need to receive his renewing power. It's totally a work of God. We need to cry out to him. Turning to him looks like throwing our hands up in the air and just saying, help. I can't do it without you. That's precisely the posture that we should have. It looks like crying out in desperation. Returning to the Lord also looks like waiting on the Lord in expectation. Look at verses 8 and 9. This is good news. While we cry out to the Lord in total desperation, we can also have absolute confidence. That just feels good, doesn't it? That we don't just throw our hands up in the air, desperately crying, and he turns his back and walks away and rejects us. That's not how the Lord does it. Look at verses 8 and 9. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. Notice the boldness, the confidence. The Lord is going to speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. Let them not turn back to folly. Surely, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Returning to the Lord is not just crying out in desperation. It's waiting in expectation that what the Lord says he will do, he will do. The Lord will speak. He will speak peace to his people. Surely his salvation is near. The glory may dwell in the land. We are to wait for the Lord with expectation. This is, this is really, really good news. But I'll be the first to admit, this is really difficult. As wonderful as it is that God will meet us in our need, this is what I'm tempted to do. I'm tempted not to wait for the Lord. I'm convinced I can figure this out, right? That all I need to do is kind of pull my mess together. That I am resourced enough by myself that I can find a way, right? I am reliant on myself. And while this is such wonderful news that we should be dependent and expectant of the Lord to deliver us, it is really, really hard because we think we can do it on our own. Nothing could be further 
from the truth. Folks, the truth is, there are times in our life, in fact, I would say most times in our life, where we feel like we are simply hanging on by a thread. Samuel Rutherford, a famous pastor, once said, I hang by but a thread, but it is of Christ's spinning. That one thread that we hang on to as a source of life is spun by Christ himself. And so why we feel like at times we're teetering on the edge of existence, the Lord is securely holding on to us. And what we ought not to do is to take control back into our own hands, right? Thinking that we've got a way to figure this out. We're resourced enough. The Lord is the one who is going to do it and we expect him to do it. Our job is to wait for him and to not go forward, to refuse to go forward and take one step apart from him. So revival begins by remembering God's grace in the past. It, it requires that we return to God in the present. Desperation, expectation. Finally, revival produces real change in the future. When you think of what it actually looks like when revival takes root. And I think many of us want to jump to that phase right away, right? What's it going to look like when the Lord breathes new life into his people? What's going to happen? What wonderful things will be done for the Lord? We want to go there right away. It's really important that we don't, or those things likely won't happen, right? Revival produces real change. Look at verses 10 through 13. These are beautiful, beautiful, beautiful verses. These would be great ones for some extended study. I only have a couple of minutes, and they're really complex verses. So it would be great study at home. Verses 10 through 13. After all the remembering, after the longing, the crying out, the waiting, after all of that, what happens? Simply put, God shows up. And when God shows up, everything changes. Everything changes. When, when God's people experience God's renewing power, they are changed forever. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. God's attributes come together, not just in an embrace, but in a kiss. They come together and become not just his attributes, but ours as well. Faithfulness springs up. We are faithful to him as he, as he shines down, looks down and extends his righteousness to us. They kiss and they meet and they become who we are as his people. As his people, we look like him. Those attributes, those characteristics, those qualities become embodied by us, his people, the church, Parkview. We are transformed and changed forever. And when this glory is revealed, ultimately, the, when this glory was most revealed is in Jesus himself, who we know is to be full of grace and truth, a man walking on this earth who completely embodied this, full of grace, full of truth. And as his church, as his people, we look, spend every day of our life trying to look more and more like that man who extended his love 
who gave his life so that we could be with God himself. We as his people are changed forever as we follow in his footsteps. Secondly, when God's people experience God's renewing power, it's not just them that is changed. It's not just us that are changed. It's the world around them. It's the world around them. When revival takes root, one of the effects, the results, is that the world that we, that we live in changes around us, right? We become, the Bible calls, salt and light, right? We move into dark places and shine a light that only we can shine. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our, our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. When our collective life manifests the reviving work of God, the world around us will be changed as well. One way of thinking of it is the way that Isaiah put it in Isaiah 58, verse 8. It says this, Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness will go before you, same language, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. When the Lord breathes new life, when we repent and turn back to the Lord and he, he gives us himself freely, breathes new life and renews us and revives us as his people, we are characterized by righteousness and it, it goes before us. There's a reason why if you were to look at kind of survey many of the great revivals that have happened throughout history, that those revivals have also done really, really good things, right? Like a the, abolition, the abolishment of slavery. Missionary societies formed. Sunday school movements developed. Abortion condemned. Homes built. Sick cared for. Healing and hope delivered over and over and over again. Folks, is the idea of us being renewed as a people is not just for our benefit. It's not. What we believe will happen is that the Lord breathes new life into us, that the blessing that we've received from God through Christ will be extended out from us. That we will become, this place will become a beacon of light, a dispenser of hope for a world that is in desperate, desperate need. So as that happens, the question is, what will it look like here at Parkview? What will 2021 look like. Yesterday I picked up the newspaper and uh, the cover story from the Press Citizen was said something like images of 2020. And I was expecting like a ton. There weren't, there weren't that many. There's four pictures, four sort of stories, right? One of them was the uh, Black Lives Matter protest on the Pentecost. Another one was a tree laying down pictures that sort of, you know, characterize this past year. Another one was a tree laying on top of a house in Cedar Rapids. There's another picture of people sitting in a gymnasium floor as they were caucusing. Another picture was that of students at a high school game wearing masks. You know, four images that you can look at that kind of define our year in Iowa City, right? The question is, and the question to be asked today is, what will the images be of 2021? If the Lord revives us again, what will those images look like? What will they look like? 
And I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see. Lord, revive us again. Don't just change us for us. But change us so that we can change the world around us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much um, that you are a God who loves to restore us, that you're a God who gives freely to us. And Lord, I just pray that as we are maybe tempted to manufacture this, Lord, I pray that you'd be a, help us to be a people who return to you and who wait for you. And we believe with confidence and with boldness that you will not disappoint. Yes, he sends your name.